Most of us weren't around and weren't even living, of course, uh, uh, 90 years ago, whenever that event took place here, or 80-some years ago, I didn't do the math in my head, but in 1941, December 7th, we forgot some people don't even know, and some people in the re-education, they're learning history differently, and they're learning that we were the tyrants, and, and uh, it's, it's a sad day. But I want to relive, if I could, for just another couple minutes before we get into the message, the week, I remember that week so well, that week of September 11th, Tuesday morning, I already said where I was at, and you know where you were at. It was a day of indignation, shock, horror, disbelief, infamy. But Wednesday was a day of consternation, a day of confusion, bewilderment, and started to be a day of resolve of some sorts, not knowing what that would be, how that would turn out. Thursday in America and in Torrington, Connecticut, was a day of unification, I remember going to Coke Park that Thursday night in, uh, for a candlelight vigil. Thousands of Torringtonites and uh, North, people from Northwest Connecticut. And we all, there were Catholics and Baptists and Protestants and probably some atheists and so forth. We all came together as Americans that night. And we all had our candles, thousands of candles in Coke Park. I don't know if anybody else was there or not, but I remember saying something's happening. And America got together and America started to ask God to bless, God bless America, and America started to turn to God. It was a day of unification. Friday was a day of supplication, a day of resolution. We had prayer meetings scheduled in churches all across America, our church included. And then Sunday came. It was a day of meditation. It was a day of introspection, but it was a great day. I remember B.J. Luce, our assistant pastor, sang uh, the Statue of Liberty song, and there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Thank you to Sarah and uh, Carlene and Alicia for singing. They're pulling double duty. I just realized they're down in the nursery right now, and, uh, or at least Car- Sarah is, I guess. And thank you for singing that song. And we, we did something. And for about a month, we, America turned back to God, it seemed like. But then a month went by, and we forgot God, and we started talking about our own military power. I don't want to get political this morning, not that it's wrong for me to get political, but I just don't have the stomach for it this morning. But in the last two weeks here, it might be noted as a day of capitulation. We have 13 flags flying out on our front sign there, and I think you know what those 13 flags are for. And uh, just an old hat, we're starting a new round, and uh, a day of, obser- a day of, uh, of uh, we'll see what the future brings, prognostication, uh, I I think I know what our future is, and it doesn't look too good. And uh, certainly not too good for Afghanistan. It's certainly not too good for uh, the terrorism and so forth. And there are people celebrating yesterday, I'm sure, and, but not in America. They were celebrating in other countries, and especially, again, Afghanistan, at least many of them of the Taliban stripe. But I want you to know that there was a great day. It was an incredible day. It was a day that will live in infamy, that 9-11, September 11th, 2001. But I want you to know there's been some great days in times past as well. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse, or chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, the middle-aged prophet at this time, Isaiah, who would prophesy for 64 years, he said, this is a day to remember. Uzziah had been, living, had been king for 52 years. And it was a day that he would never forget, and he thought his world would change, and his world was, was changing in a great way. In, in, in Isaiah's day, if you know your, your Judean history, your Israelite history. But I want to submit to you this morning, and this is the message this morning, as we reflect and go back and forth in our time, with a, in a time warp of such. We're going back 20 years in our memory bank, and come fast forward to 2021, and then fast forward to days beyond this, which could be this week. 
next week, next month, next year, but it's coming soon. I want to give you six days, even greater days ahead than the day of 9-11. Six greater days ahead for everyone in this room and myself included. First of all, I want you to know there's coming a day, verse number one, in the year that King Uzziah died. There's coming a day of departation. And yes, I coined a word. It's the word departure. There's coming a day of departation, a day of departure. Life is short. I've been reminded of that this week and even this morning. If Brother Bob, if I could take liberties, Bob Ross told me of a tragic event that took place yesterday with his nephew, 31 years of age, died suddenly yesterday. I understand up in Canaan, I think, Bob. And is that right, Canaan? Or North? I'm sorry? Colebrook. I'm sorry to hope I didn't uh, embarrass you, but uh, pray for his brother Richie. His, son's, his son passed away in eternity at 31 yesterday. Life is short. We're here today. We're gone tomorrow. The Bible tells us in James that our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life is short. And I guarantee you, as much as 9-11 may affect you or may have affected you, past tense, nothing will affect you more than the day of your departation. Your short life. I've been to two funerals in the last eight days. One last Saturday, of course, and then obviously one this past Wednesday in Ohio. Life is but a brief moment here. 86 years of age, Betty Bennett lived to be. And uh, the days of her year are three score and ten. That's 70. And if by reason of strength to be four score years, that's 80. Yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow. And we are soon cut off and we fly away. Life, there's a departure day and life is short. Death is sure. We're, you know, we think all men think themselves... Uh, all men think other men mortal but themselves. You too shall pass that way. I too shall pass that way. I stood at two gravesides in this last eight days on Saturday and Wednesday again. And one day, if Lord Terry's is coming, hopefully some of you will, will you come and stand at my graveside for me for two minutes? Would you do that for me? Maybe you won't. Maybe you won't be here. But, but death is sure. David said, I go the way to all the earth. He died 3,000 years ago. Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this a judgment. Death is sure. As I'm looking at our young people in this room, your death is sure. It's not guaranteed that you're going to get 70 years or 80 years or 90 years. You may get 31 years. You may get 17 years. You may get 10 years or 7 years or however old. But life is sure. Death is sure. Sin is the cause. I get so tired of hearing and then <clears throat> the 600 plus thousand people that died of COVID. I don't want to get facetious here, but nobody dies of pneumonia any longer in America. Nobody dies of the flu anymore in America. People don't even die of seizures or heart attacks in America, but they die of COVID. And I'm not trying to belittle or make fun of it, but it's just amazing how that works. It might have a little bit to do with money, maybe. And, uh, but uh, you say, well, they died of COVID or COVID-related illness. They died of uh, Zim. What was that her funeral last Saturday? She, she lived to be 97 years of age. She fell and uh, broke a body part, and uh, I can't remember her neck or what have, have you, but she died. She says, well, she died, and Betty fell three months ago. Betty Bennett fell three months ago and broke her, re-broke her hip, and she died of related causes, obviously. People say, well, she died of, of uh, broken bones, or, uh, or some people say they died of cancer. They died of... An automobile accident. No, that's the service reason why we die. We die because of sin. The wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Life is short, death is sure, sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. You know, let me just stop for a moment and reflect, and I have to be vague like I do when I give so many personal illustrations, because you know. But I'm thinking of a certain someone. They've heard me preach a number of times over the years. Not many, but a number of times. And they still haven't come to Christ. They've heard over and over again that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes unto the Father but by me, but they still have not received Christ as their Savior. They're getting up there in age. In fact, they're, in my estimation, they're pretty old. And they know that Christ is a cure, but they have not come to Christ. Your departure, your departure, my departure is guaranteed. It's guaranteed that whether we live to be 31 years of age or 91 years of age, life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. In my estimation, that's a greater day for every one of us, singularly speaking, than is the 9-11 will ever be in our lives because we, didn't, we weren't directly affected by it. We didn't lose our life in 9-11. Where our 9-11 is yet to come in one way, shape, or form, or fashion. And so a great, great coming day ahead in the future is a coming day of departation. But then, notice verse number one, one more time, and, and in that, let me read the right verse here, in the year that King Uzziah died, notice the Bible says, in the year that King Uzziah died, notice the coming day of coronation. The coming day of coronation. Uzziah was the 10th king of the 19 or 20 kings, if you count one queen in the equation, in the middle of the reign of the 300 year reign of the kingdom reign of the southern kingdom of the two tribes of the Judah and Benjamin and comprised the kingdom that stayed somewhat loyal to David. Uzziah was overall a very good king. He reigned for 52 years. Usher, the chronologist, chronicles, if you have a Schofield Bible, it'll have it at the top there, but he chronicles Usher's life from, or rather Uzziah's life from B.C. 792 to 740 B.C., in 740 B.C., there was a kingdom knocking at the door of, the, of, of Israel. They were to the north, what we know of today as Iraq and Iran, the Assyrians. And they would come down in 722 B.C., 18 years after this event, and already the war drums were beating. Already they knew that they were in a heap of trouble, and the, Isaiah, knowing the signs of the times, knew that something was up, that, that life was never going to be the same. He said, the year the king Uzziah died... They took the gold crown off Uzziah when he died and they put it on his son's head, Jotham. Jotham would reign for 16 years and he put it on his son's head, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah would reign 16 years and he put it on his son's head and so forth and so on. God sets up one king and sets down another king. I want you to notice that, that in regards to the coming day of coronation, they're, they're, they're crowning. You say they're crowning. I'm talking about the kings of the earth and the presidents of the earth. Let me do this quickly here, but in... in Psalms 2, I have for a reference Psalm 2, 2, but let me read if I could, please. Psalm 2, 1. Why do the heathen or the nations rage? The people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They're all in cahoots together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. God, in Proverbs, it says that he sets up one king, he sets, he sets down another king. The king's hand is in the heart of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he willeth. 
No man reigns, doesn't, or every king that reigns, every leader that reigns, every ruler that reigns, reigns by the permission of Almighty God. Isaiah 40, 30, 23 says he brings the kings to the princes of the earth to nothing. Presidents will come and go. This president will come and this president has come and he will go. The president, last, the last president we had, he came and he went. And God, God will set up one and set down another because that's what God does. And it's a great day when that crown, at least for that first day, is a great day. Someone said heavy is the head that wears the crown, but there's also great privilege and great honor to wear that crown. There's their crowning. But what about your crowning for a moment? You say, what about your crowning? Paul said, never was a king on earth. But he said in 2 Timothy 4.8, therefore, uh, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love is appearing. I've used the illustration before. I probably like the Olympics more than anybody in this room here. I was just, uh, just a kid that loves sports, I guess, and I love the Olympics. And I've stood on a, two, two occasions that I can remember. In fact, I had my kids at Lake Placid, New York. And then where the ski jump is, a giant slalom ski jump, of course, and, or the, ski, the high ski jump. There's the gold medal stand. It's still there. You can stand on it, of course. And I got up on the, and this is before the age of cell phones. This was about 20 years ago I was there. And I, just, I put my hand over my heart, and I said, Sonny, take a picture of me. I'm on, and I was on the gold medal stand, not the silver or the bronze. I was on the gold medal stand. And I didn't have a gold medal around my heart or my, my neck, but I had my hand on my heart. And uh, I pretended like I had a gold medal, of course. One day I had my three girls there, Kristen, Laura, and Jessica, of course, and they all stood on the prospective medal stands, of course. And I, I've never got a gold medal, and I don't think anybody in this room has ever got a gold medal. In fact, I'm sure of it. But one day we have an opportunity to win a crown of righteousness, a crown of rejoicing, a crown of glory, a crown of life, an incorruptible crown, according to five crowns a Christian can win in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. The Bible says they do it to attain a corruptible, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. But uh, the Bible tells us that we can gain crowns for the Lord, but we can lose crowns. In Revelation 3.11 says, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You can lose, you cannot lose your salvation, Christian, but you can lose your rewards. And I, I think of Lance Armstrong, the Michael Jordan of cycling, of course. He won seven Tour de France's, I think it was. They were all stripped and taken away from him when they found out that he had been guilty, supposedly, of taking performance-enhancing drugs. We must strive lawfully, but there's a crowning day. And the Bible says one day we'll be in Revelation 4, verse number 10, we'll be able to cast our crowns before his throne at his feet. What a day that will be. I hope I have a crown to cast at his feet. I hope I have, the Bible says crowns, plural. Uh, will you have a crown to cast at his feet? So there's their crowns, your crowns, but then a uh, great day, great day. I can't wait for this day, but there's Dave, his crowning. First Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name <clears throat> which is above every name. You know, our kids are learning about George Floyd, but are they learning about Jesus Christ in our public schools? I'm afraid only in a curse word. His name is blasphemed every day. Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. 
I look forward to that day. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's coming a day, a coronation day is coming when Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 6.15, will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And who are the kings that he's crowned king of? You and I, Revelation 1.5. We're the kings and priests of the earth. And I'm a prince of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And ladies, you're a princess of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And uh, the Bible says when he comes in a flaming fire on this earth that he'll take in Revelation 19.12. His eyes are as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. I don't know how it's going to work, but I think my crown's going to be on his head as he comes back to planet Earth and fights against the nations and fought against the Lord. What a day that'll be. It'll make, we won't even think of 9-11 on that day. It'll be a day of crowning. Look forward to that day. Day of coronation. There's a day of departation that's a greater day than 9-11 could ever be in our lives. A day of coronation. But then thirdly, verses 9 through 13, let me give you the point and let me dissect the passage for a few moments. Verses 9 through 13, notice the coming day of division or separation. In the previous verse, verse 8 I'm referring to, Isaiah volunteered, he said, Here, my Lord, send me. And then he got his commission, verses 9 to 13. Look at verse number 9 with me, please. We usually, when we read this famous passage of Scripture, we usually end in verse number 8. But we go to verse number 9, and notice what it says. And he said, that's the Lord Jehovah God, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy. Their, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. I saw two individuals on Thursday. No, yes, it was Thursday, as a matter of fact. I saw them in a strange place. I won't say where, I won't say who. They're not here this morning. But I see them all the time. They call me pastor. They, they're, they're nice and I love them, and I believe they love me. I think, I hope they love God. But they never can make it to church on Sunday. But they can make it to work, and they can, they can call me during the week and so forth. And I'm glad, I guess, they, I guess I'm glad they call, but I wish they'd come to church once in a while. I say that in the relation of that I preach to people that do not, verse number nine, that then hear but do not understand, that see but do not see. Isaiah got a commission to preach to people, verse number 10, make the heart of this people fat, make them lazy, make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Let me translate for you so you understand. God, Jehovah God said to Isaiah, I want you to preach to people that are not going to listen to a word you got to say. Pardon me, I don't know why he yelled like that. You're, you're listening to me. But many people don't want to hear. Many people don't care. They don't, it doesn't matter to them. You know, you know, plead, you know, hey, come to church, hear the word of God, grow in the Lord, and God will bless you for it. Okay, thank you. I think I'll go back to sleep. Day of division. And this verse, this verse goes on. In, in fact, verse number 11, you've got to look at this verse. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do I have to do this? Isaiah prophesied for nearly 70 years to a disobedient, gainsaying people, to a wicked people, to a people that didn't want to hear, to people that had eyes that couldn't see, didn't want to see, people that had ears that didn't want to hear. And he said, how long? And he says, till cities be desolate. How long are we going to preach in America? When I preach on 
2001, I preached to a full house of full crowd in America, all across America. Churches were preaching to full crowds. Not so much 20 years and a day later. And I, I don't mean to castigate. I'm not castigating you. You're here. I'm castigating. We, I, and I ask the question, in 20 years and a day, have we gotten closer to God or farther away from God as a country? I'll let you answer that question. You see, there's coming a day of division. Two parts about that day of division. First of all, a day of destruction for most. God knew that these events were going to happen. He knew then, 18 years, that the Assyrians would come in and plunder. And, and what the Assyrians did, I've read a little bit. I've never used it in the pulpit messages because it's so grotesque. It makes the Nazi Holocaust look like a Sunday school picnic. The, the art and the torture of the, the Syrian army, what they, how they could kill people and kill, that was, that was merciful. It was torture beyond torture. They devised the most heinous ways of excruciating execution you could possibly imagine over the period of days. And it was the, the, the best way to torture your enemy is keep them alive as long as you possibly could. And the days of destruction will come. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come. I go back to 9-11 for just a moment. Beautiful Tuesday morning. You know where you were at. Then you heard the news. Those people in those towers, 2,997 of them in, in Shanksville and the Pentagon. Just going about their business, not in, not a clue in the world what was happening, and, and then sudden destruction came. I saw one of the shows this past week on one of the learning channels on television. They've been running all these 9/11 shows all this past week, as I'm sure many of you know. They were interviewing an old agent engineer that was uh, on the ground floor of the design for the World Trade Towers, and he with tears in his eyes. He said, "We took 10 years to build those towers. They came down in 10 seconds." Amazing how fast destruction can come. The day of destruction for most, the Bible says that there's coming a sudden day where, the, where suddenly, wherefore let him that thinketh stand, take heed lest he fall. Uh, he, he that, you can't quote the verse all of a sudden in Proverbs, so it just left me here, but uh, he that shall suddenly be destroyed and not without remedy. A day of destruction, a day of judgment is coming. But at the last, look at verse 13, the last phrase, the verse I wanted to dissect, verse 13, but for time's sake, to go to the last phrase. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. Most of the nine-tenths, if you dissect the verse, nine-tenths of Israel would suffer holocaust of one one, one fate or another. But some will celebrate. At the last... There's coming a day of division. Let me rephrase this so you understand. The sheep will be divided from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the saved from the lost, those who are bound for heaven from those bound to hell. There's going to be a division, a separation. And one day we'll know those that serve God and those that did not serve him. In Matthew 25, in the Olivet Discourse, God gave a parable. I won't read it all, but 25 verses 14 to 23 it is. Verse 14, he likens the kingdom of heaven as a man traveling into a far country. And after a long time, the Bible says, verse 19 in the parable, the servant of the, the, the Lord's servants came, the, 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 pardon me, the, 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 the Lord of the servants came back. God's been gone. Jesus Christ ascended up in glory 
1,990 years ago on that, from that Mount of Olives, he says, I'm coming again. Why stand you gazing? He's coming back. And the Bible says he's going to come. He's going to say to a handful of people, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. A day is coming of division, a separation, a day of the separating of the wheat and the tares, the saved and lost, the goat and the sheep, those that are bound to heaven and those that are bound to hell. And that day will say it was worth it all to serve the Lord, those that serve the Lord, a day of celebration for some, the holy seed. But then I want you to notice a fourth day. And this day has not come. You notice in the outline it doesn't say a coming day because some have not had this day yet. But verse number five, notice the day of confession. Isaiah, the godly prophet, said when he saw the glory of the Lord, he said, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I want you to notice three things about this day of confession in Isaiah's life. I had a day of confession in my life. As an 11-year-old boy, I've told the story many times. But it begins with the recognition and quickly, just glance at verse number one again, the middle part of the verse. I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Verse number two, the seraphims covered their wings, covered their faces, and were twain they did fly. Verse number 11, and they cried as they've been crying for all eternity past and all eternity future. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I want you to notice that a day of confession begins with a recognition. Let me say it this way. You will never see your wretchedness. You will never have an abhorrence, an abhorrence for your sin until you catch a glimpse of his holiness. Until you see God high and lifted up. Right now we have many Americans who just think that God, if there is a God, he's just a superman. He's a little bit above us. One of the Avengers. One of the... Super avatars, a little bit, little bit more powerful than you and I. The deists think that. Just uh, created things over a long period of time. He just went away and he's not too concerned with man. No, we have a God that knows everything. He knows our thoughts are far off. And he was concerned with his microcosm of creation. It's, what is man that thou art mindful of him? We begin, this day of confession begins with the recognition Isaiah had this recognition. It continues on. It was brought on by contrition, or brought about by contrition. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw himself, the Bible says that he abhorred my, as Job, he abhorred himself in sackcloth and ashes. Or in Psalm 38 and verse 18, the psalmist said, For I will declare my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, thou wilt not despise. You see, a day confession will never begin unless there's a recognition of who God is and who we are. His, wretched, his holiness and our wretchedness. It'll never be brought about until there's contrition, be sorrow, godly sorrow, work with repentance. And it's all prerequisite. Nobody ever gets saved until they're lost. There's a prerequisite day of salvation. The greatest day in your life was not the day you were born. The greatest day in your life is the day you were born again. That's the greatest day in your life. Jesus said you must be born again. Have you been born again? 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. I've never known anybody that ever really got genuinely saved that regretted getting saved. You always thank God for that. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, of course, now is except the time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The greatest day of in your life is not 9-11. It's not the greatest day in your life is the day of your confession where you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. But I want you to notice number five here, another fifth day that's greater, a, a, a greater day in your life, in my life, than the day of 9-11 for sure. Verse 7, and he laid it, that's the, the coals, in verse number seven, there were, upon, were the tongs from the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thy iniquity is taken away, hallelujah, and thy sin is purged, amen. And I heard also the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? There's the Trinity right there, by the way. Then said I, Here am I, send me. Notice the day of consecration. A day of consecration. Isaiah said, I'm not much. In fact, I'm a wretch. But you're everything, and I, I can't even speak. I've been a prophet. I say that all the time myself as a preacher. I can't even speak, and I'm a preacher. <laughs> but God, God anointed. God, God does anointing, not man. Isaiah didn't anoint himself. God anointed him, and God touched his lips. And a day of consecration for Isaiah and for you begins first with the presentation we present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Have you presented your body as a living sacrifice unto God? Have you volunteered to be in his army? My son-in-law is in the Navy, you all know that. 15 years in, he's trying to do 20 years. Hopefully he'll do 20 years, but Uncle Sam and the President of the United States might not let him. He may be ousted because he's not willing to take the vaccine. And uh, so, but he's presented his body, he's given 15 years of service and training to do a career in the United States military, in this case, the Navy. He presented, he said, here am I. He volunteered and he swore in loath, uh, allegiance to the Constitution of the United States and the American flag, of course, and to the country, God, country. And the, but have you, as a Christian, have you volunteered for Jesus? Have you given a presentation? The greatest day outside of your salvation is the day that you present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. And then that leads to a second thing. A day of consecration begins with the first a presentation, but then the second by a dedication. You see, Isaiah had been preaching for some 30-some years, we believe, before Uzziah when Uzziah was in the middle of his reign and he preached for another, all the way to the reign of Hezekiah, he preached for, he prophesied for almost 70 years, long time to keep on being faithful. I preached for a little while now and basically 40 years of my life or 40 plus years of my life, going back to my teenage years for sure, even 45 years if I go back that far, I guess, but as a pastor since I was 27 years of age. And I've, I've said this to many people, I don't mind divulging and letting you on little secrets. I thought it would get easier when I got older. <laughs> it's gotten harder. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard today as it's been any time in my life, of course. I don't have the strength and the uh, agility that I used to have, the dexterity and everything else that I used to have as a young person. Isaiah was deteriorating, but 
He said, uh, Lord, I, I've signed up, and I'm going to be your servant till the day I die. And it's the dedication to serve the Lord, to be a consecrated servant of the Lord is for life. Well, that leads me to this sixth day that's greater than any day in your life. Or any day since, a greater day than 9-11, I should say. There's a coming day of departure, a day, coming day of departure, a coming day of coronation. Their crowning kings will be set up and kings will be set down. There's your crowning. Hopefully you'll get a crown or two, be able to cast at his feet. And then there's his crowning. There's coming a day of division, separation, a day of confession, a day of consecration. But then lastly, Uzziah died 2,700 some years ago now. Isaiah followed him a few years later. David would die, died 3,000 years earlier. Paul died. No, those of 9-11 died. And their final destination, there's coming a day of final destination. Stay with me, please. Are you living just for the end of your days? Let me say it in another way. I've already quoted Psalm 90. The days of your year are three score and ten. That's 70 years. What people will do to live for 70 years? They'll spend every last time they have to keep themselves alive. I might do the same thing myself. If by reason of strength you get 80 years, it is their strength, labor, and sorrow, and we soon cut off and we, we fly away. If you live to be 97 or 86 or 31 or 10, or life is short. Death is sure. Sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. But some people will live their whole life. We're so afraid. I, I got a medal. We're so afraid of COVID. We're so afraid of COVID in Connecticut. We got kicked out of a restaurant. We couldn't get in the front door of the restaurant in Connecticut here. We didn't have our mask on. I turned on the TV and I watched 100,000 people in stadiums all across America who not a mask on in the whole place. You can scream for three hours right side by side and that's okay, but come to a Connecticut restaurant and you can't eat. It's crazy. COVID, I'm not making fun of it, I'm just saying... We'll do everything. Mask up, it's safety. I agree. If masking up is safety, then two masks are even more safety. Why don't you put a shield on? Why don't you just not go out of your house? Why don't you just... Now you say, preacher, you're getting naughty. I'm just trying to help you. We're so afraid of death. But our final destination is coming one way or another. Whether you mask up or not, it's coming. Whether you get COVID or not, it's still coming. And you will spend, uh, the world is spending, and patience is wearing thin, somebody said to us a few days ago. For those that uh, are cavalier, supposedly. The world is spending, we, we got to make sure that we have, why well, I'm meddling one more time. Do you know, did you know this? Did you know that there are more children that have been shot in, in Chicago, Illinois, this year than have died of COVID in the last 18 months? Did you know that? Crazy. I think we had a lot, lot, lot of children in Chicago. That would help solve that problem, right? And you say, no, preacher, you're being facetious. I know I am. But are you living just for the end of your days? Just for one more day? One more week? One more month? What we'll do to keep alive on this earth? Or turn to Isaiah 9, and we're almost done. Hang in with me. Don't, don't turn me off. I know we're almost done with the outline. Isaiah 9 Verse number six, I quote it all the time, for unto us a child is born, 
Unto us the Son is given a messianic prophecy of the coming King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. In both his first advent and his first coming and his second coming. We go to verse number 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Are you living for just for the end of days or are you living for the day that there will be no end? Hang with me 90 more seconds and we're done. 64 times, 65 times, excuse me, I believe it is, thanks to my online Bible now that I have on my computer, you will find the phrase in the Bible, forever and ever. Over a thousand times, you'll find the phrase, forever. But over 65 65 times in the Bible, you'll find the phrase, forever and ever. The Bible says, they that turn many to righteousness shall shine, Daniel 12, 3, as the stars forever and ever. I've met a few famous people in my life. I don't know if I told you this here. I had, we had lunch a few weeks ago. Don't ask me afterwards. I won't tell you. I'll keep it a secret for a while. We ate lunch with the governor of Carmel, California, a few weeks ago. He came to see us, for the record. I've shook several United States senators' hands. I got my picture taken with Joe Manchin, who might be the most powerful man in Washington right now, they say. Big deal. I've met a lot of people that are famous. I don't know about their destinations, but I know one day I'm going to meet my Lord. And one day I'm going to live with him forever and ever and ever. And the Bible says in Revelation 22 and verse 5, the day that we won't even be thinking in 9-11 on that day for sure. And there shall no why, there shall be no night there. A day is coming where there will be no more night. Never again will there be a night. And they have no need of a candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign, they shall reign forever and ever. I know I'm going to place a final destination. Heaven's my home. Eternity's with Jesus Christ. And this too shall pass. There's a day of departation. Are you prepared for it? A day of coronation. I hope I have some crowns to lay at his feet. A day of division, separation. A day of confession. That day came from me and came from you. Hopefully the day we receive Christ as your Savior. A day of consecration where I said, Hear my Lord, send me. And a day a final destination where we'll live and reign with him forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning.